welcome to Soaring the Sky, Glider Pilots Podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. I will be your host. This is episode 25. Joining us today is Mary Rust. She's a certified flight instructor who lives in California. Mary began flying gliders on April 5, 1981 in California, where she earned her private and commercial license in the 1980s and a private pilot's license in single-engine land at Long Beach, California in the mid-1980s. She has been flying gliders for over 38 years and has logged over 4,300 flights in 1987, she won the Women's Anne Mero Lindbergh Challenge Trophy, given for the longest handicapped cross-country flight in a glider that year. She received a Simons Wave Memorial Plaque and a Lenny Pin for a flight over 26,000 feet in her SGS-126 in 1988, and has been given many numerous awards as outstanding member of various glider clubs. She became a flight instructor in 1994 and is trained glider pilots from private, commercial, and flight instructor. She loves to share the joy of soaring and is passionate about teaching others to become certified glider pilots. She is an original member of the WSPA Women's Soaring Pilots Association and has served on the board for nine years as treasurer and president. Mary has recently been invited by the FAI to be the U.S. representative for a new women's group set up to study why there are so few women in sport aviation, something that the FAI would like to change. She will be working with an international group of women, helping to network all the women aviator groups around the world, with the goal of someday holding a Worldwide Women Aviators Day. Mary Rust, welcome to Soaring the Sky. I greatly appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that, too. So can you tell me, how did your aviation adventure begin? Well, it actually began when I was a little girl in South Dakota. My father was a teacher and flew on weekends and in the summer, um, used to fly me around over the cornfields in a J3 Cub, and I loved it. I just always wanted to fly. I wasn't um, offered the opportunity to do that until April 5th of 1981, when I was already married and had two kids. And um, the first flight, I was I was hooked on it. It was awesome. I loved flying. It was in a glider, and it was at Los Alamitos. And at the time, it was run by the Navy. Um, Los Alamitos in, is near Long Beach, California. And that's where I lived at the time, uh, in Long Beach. So um, I started uh, taking lessons with the Navy Aero Club and Long Beach Soaring. It was named at the time. Uh, we had winch launches every Tuesday, and on weekends we did aerotow. So by the time I soloed, I soloed one day on winch and the next day on aerotow. And um, it's just been wonderful ever since. I had to stop in the middle of my training to have my third child. I was too pregnant to hold a stick all the way back and um, couldn't run the wing anymore. So at six months pregnant, I quit for about six months. And since then, I've been flying pretty much all the rest of my life. I just turned 70 years old, and I'm still flying. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. I have to ask you, because it's something we haven't really talked about on the podcast much, but that is winch launching. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how it works? I haven't experienced that. I've just done the arrow tail. But how was that? Well, it's exciting. You go from zero to 
55, 60 miles an hour very, very quickly. And within seconds, you're up to a thousand feet or higher. I think my highest launch was in a 126 and I got to 2000 feet. So you can get off at 12 or 1500 feet and uh, actually soar. One of the most fun times I had was <clears throat> one day at um, 29 Palms Airport flying with an old friend of mine, Harold Kotinsky, in a L-13. We took off together just for fun because we we're both instructors. It seems like we we're always working with students and it was fun just to fly together. I'd known him since he was in high school. And uh, we took off. We got up there. I think we got off around uh, uh, 1,200 feet and we, we uh, thermaled up way way, way higher than 10,000 feet. We are up for a while, and then we did some spins and aerobatics on the way down, so it was really quite fun. So winter launching is a great way to stay current in the wintertime. It's cheap. You know, you can get a launch. Well, we used to do our launches for $10, and you get a lot of takeoffs and landings. Um, the downside is you have a lot of experience with takeoffs and landings, but not a lot of hours because sometimes, Sometimes it's a two or three minute flight, maybe sometimes a five minute or maybe like when you're in a, a dry lake or in a nice airport out where it's real warm and there's a lot of thermal activity, you can stay up for a long time. I will definitely have to check out the winch launch for sure. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yes, it, it is. It's a completely different than Aerotow. Of course, the landing's the same, but the, the takeoffs um, can be dangerous if you're not really well trained and very aware of every every attitude you have for during your climb so that you can always get out of it if, if there's a rope break now they use wonderful ropes uh, back in those days we used armored cable left over from the Navy and it, and it would break probably close to 50% of the launches were breaks oh okay. wow yeah and it makes for Really exciting flying <laughs> because yeah. you have you get breaks whenever you don't know what altitude you're going to get it, and you you know you have to be instinctively quick. They won't solo you till you're really really your your hand eye coordination is very quick, very fast, and you know what's what you're going to do at every altitude exactly what you're going to do, and you do it, and it's very safe if you do that. Yeah, because your nose is. I imagine pretty high on the winch launch, right? A little bit higher than it would be if you were doing the aerotope. Much, much higher, yeah. But if you rotate too soon, get that nose up too early, and you're too close to the ground, that could be very bad. So if it broke, so that's we don't. Yeah. You know, if you're conservative and you're careful, and you can do a lot of winch launching for years and years, like they do in Europe, and it costs very little money. So. It was always a great way to stay current, and it was close to home for me, so I, I got to do a lot of it. Now, you're a part of the Women's Soaring Pilots Association. Can you tell me about that? It was started many years ago by Bertha Ryan and Nancy Evans. Uh, when they got together from the SSA, they worked there part of the time when it was here in California in Santa Monica, and I met them out at uh, Tehachapi at uh, Skylark North. And it's uh, now called Mountain Valley Airport. But uh, I met them and they said, would you like to join a network of women that are glider pilots? And I said, sure. And it was, I think, $8 a year and, and it paid for your newsletter. 
um, there was really no organization to it other than we had a newsletter. And it kind of hooked us together. We shared stories. But it, it did help it grow. It grew across the United States pretty quickly. And during those first years, we put on seminars. Um, we've already had over 41, 42, I think, seminars. Uh, but after about 10 years, they decided to form a real group, you know, of get a, a president and a secretary and all that kind of stuff. So we actually uh, ended up with a president who was a lawyer from Dallas, Texas, Sharon Smith. And she organized the first uh, corporate papers to get our nonprofit status. And we're um, incorporated out of the state of Texas uh, with our federal ID number and our nonprofit status um, falling under the educational uh, section for educating women in uh, aviation. And uh, later we filed, uh, applied for to become a division status of the SSA, and we did receive that status. So now we're actually a division. We have been for many years now. And we're doing really, really well. We have grown through the years. We have members from all over the United States and Canada and Europe. Um, actually, we're in 17 countries. And so it's been great. It's grown. We've had international um, seminars. Not every year we have a seminar. That's our goal to get uh, put on a, a week-long seminar for women. But we have a lot of men that come to it, too, because we actually have about 10% to 15% of our members are men. They're, associate, they're called associate members. They can't receive our scholarships or any of that, but they're welcome to come and help support and participate in our seminars. And we even have some men who have joined as lifetime members. It's kind of interesting that we have five different kinds of memberships. We have youth membership, um, full women memberships. Uh, associates are, are men or women who just come to support um, that, that aren't pilots. We have... Um, honorable members for honorees and we have lifetime members like i said we've grown into other countries we had our first um european seminar in slovenia oh gosh that was probably about, about 10 years ago i can't remember the exact year we went back to europe in uh 2016 and we flew in verisi italy that was beautiful both times i got to fly the alps that was uh, the alps were just so beautiful. I took off from Slovenia, less less bled area. Um, I think it was in a, a DG 505, and and we had someone from Slovenia there. You know, each when we go to different places, different countries, we usually have to have somebody from their country, their license and all that, with us to fly with us. But anyway, I I took off with him, and we went and soared the Alps, just straight up the sides of these Alps, back and forth until we got to the top, and then we were probably another 8,000 feet over the top and we took off and went all the way down with uh, Australia on one side and Italy at the end of the range. And then we flew back to Les Bled and, and landed in a beautiful grass field. And it was awesome. And then we went to um, Parisi in 2016 and flew the Alps again. I had a wonderful flight in a, uh, what is that called? ASG 32 motor glider. Beautiful, beautiful plane um, and I flew with the husband of uh, Marguerite Aquaderni who runs uh, that Verici airport the AOCA so um, just a really really uh, wonderful trip a lot of our trips are um, 
uh, you know, just around the United States, different places. I just got back last Thursday from a trip to San, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Actually, we flew in Highland, Illinois, where they have their glider port. And we did a, a week-long seminar there. We've been in um, Canada and just pretty much all over the United States. We're going to be going to uh, Sugarbush coming up next year. And the year after that, we'll be in Germany. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about one of your most memorable flights, but obviously the flight over the Alps, that that sounds pretty amazing. But if you have another one in mind, I'd love for you to share that also. Hmm. You know, I've had I have had 4,300 and something flights. It's it's really hard to decide which one's (laughs) the most memorable. Yeah, Um, I would imagine. I think that probably the most memorable would be my diamond altitude in my 126 at the time. I wanted the Simmons Wave Memorial uh, plaque, and I did get that, my Lenny pin. I was just a little over 26,000 feet on that flight. I'd been above 20 many times. This is back before we even had set up wave windows. And that was in a 126. Yeah, it was pretty cold, minus 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, Yeah, it it can get pretty cold up there. Later, we uh, got together with the locals. Um, I flew a lot in those days. We did, um, actually, the uh, Region 12 set up some wave camps. These were the first couple of wave camps, so I attended those and went to high-altitude training at Edwards Air Force Base. I did a lot of flying out of there at the time with, well, Henry Combs was flying with us at that time. Mike Kerner, Jim Payne, Jim and Jackie Payne, good friends of mine. Their kids, my kids, Rob and Kathy Morgan, their kids. We had A lot of us had kids there at the airport. <laughs> so oh, I was the, the one um, woman that was flying more than my husband, actually, uh, whereas in the other couples, it was mostly the husband's. We did finally get together. I know Walt um, Walt Rogers helped us a lot. He's a weatherman here in Southern California who helps a lot with, um, uh, you know, competitions and calling the weather and or flying in him. He's also a very good pilot. But he and Nancy Evans and Mike Kerner and myself and I can't remember who all was there. We we went uh, to um, L.A. Center, which is the headquarters for uh, the weather and also the incoming flights to all of Southern California and helped set up these wave windows so that we could fly safely up into these areas without causing any traffic problems. I think it made it, made it a lot safer for us to be up there. I know there were times when I was up there before that when military jets would go, you know, right under me or one time they opened up and went around me two on each side and i I had to laugh because i'm thinking i'm in my 126 they probably figure oh they scared that guy never thought it would might be a girl in there (laughs) but i you know i kind of got a giggle and you know i thought well they don't know who it is but i'm sure glad they could see me because they were moving really fast and they went around me so which brings me to a, a good question why do you feel that more women aren't in aviation? Oh, it's there's a myriad of problems um, for all people. I mean, I, I've spent, you know, almost 20 years as a flight instructor, and I trained a lot of people, a lot, a lot of men mostly, but women too. And there's always fallout. 
like in anything, you know, people get into something and they, or they have money problems or they find it's just um, too hard. I don't know. It's just a hard thing. I, ca I can't say it's because you get your hair messed up and your fingernails get broken. That's not the reason. <laughs> no, it's not the reason. It's, it's because things with women, I think socially, you think you've got to be responsible for your house and you'll buy clothes for your kids before you'll spend the extra money to go pay for your toes and your flight instruction. But there's other reasons, too. And I think if you really, really want to do it, you'll do it. I mean, I was doing it and I was raising kids. They were on the runway, not on the runway, but, you know, they were there all the time um, going with me sometimes in the air or just hanging out with me. I was a school teacher, so it was always easy to take the whole summer and go hang out at the airports. And it was just what I did. I loved it. It's like it gets into your blood and you can't I can't imagine myself ever not being in an airplane. So I, I did fly power also. I did get my rating in power out of Long Beach Airport. Very busy. I liked it. I mean, it was great. It's more like taxi service. And sometimes I would give my husband a ride out to Vegas where he had a job to do or something. But it wasn't the fun that I have with gliders. Not anything close. So I don't fly it very often anymore. My son owns an airplane and a helicopter and does a lot of flying. My one daughter soloed in gliders, but my other daughter was always seasick, so she didn't take it up. So I don't know. You know, it's um, they're doing a study. That's what this thing with the uh, FAI is. They uh, got together. Um, well, I guess they've been talking about doing this for 10 years. They're, they feel bad that there's not more women in aviation or in sport aviation anyway. We're not talking military or commercial airliners, but. When you look at all the sports, like hot air balloons and gliders and hang gliders and paragliders and you name it, there's just not as many women involved by far. And they want to do a study on that. So uh, one of the directors there got a group of women. Well, I think they started in uh, by contacting uh, Marguerite Aquaderni, who is a, a Majewski uh, winner. That's the top award for a female pilot in the glider pilot in the world she's had that award she won that award actually the year we went there she knows me because she worked with me for a year setting that uh, seminar up and organizing it and so I think that is why I was invited to be one of the members on this study team where we're going to study just this problem why is it that so many women what are all the factors involved with why they're not in it or they're not staying in it or they're not feeling welcome in it or you know what all the reasons are so I've been asked to be the representative for the United States which is kind of an honor but it's it's an awesome task of organizing and networking is what it's all about and I have to I'm still seeking to get my endorsements we've already started meeting online and I've met some of the other women from around the world and it's a different for instance, the person who's representing Japan is a hot air balloonist. Uh, oh, so okay. they're all, you know, they're not all glider pilots. They're different types of sport aviation. But they only wanted one woman from each country to keep it simpler because it's a lot of countries. And so I need to get my endorsement from the SSA first because that's my direct uh, uh, organization above me as far as flying gliders. And... After I get that endorsement, I'm planning to 
contact the AOPA. I've been a member of that one for over 35 years also. And I uh, plan to work with the 99s. I, I know a lot of them and I've been friends with them. And then WIA, which is Women in Aviation. And that's a fast-growing group of women. I've, I was a member for a while. Um, I'm so active and busy with WSPA that it's hard for me to be a member of all these different organizations. But yeah, I, I will that. be contacting them and trying to let them find out more about this. And if they want to endorse me too, that would be great. Um, the main thing is I need to network with them. So when we start working really hard on this, we'll be able to uh, contact them in the future and do some uh, studies with them. They'll be very, you know, very helpful. The goal for them, for the FAI, is to uh, have eventually a, a Women's uh, Aviators Day worldwide. So that's kind of what their, I think their ultimate goal is. Uh, but then also to network enough to and draw more women into flying airplanes and gliders and, and whatever they would like to fly. Wow, what, what a great idea and what an honor that they chose you to represent the United States. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor, but it's also, oh, it's going to be hard. I mean, it's going to be a lot of work for me, but I've, I've been on the WSBA board now for 10 years, coming up 10 years, and I told them after 10, I'm, I'm going to be you know, going off that board. And I thought, oh, I'll just retire a little better here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to be pretty busy with my new, you know, when one door closes, the other one opens, and I have plenty to do with this new endeavor. Now, you were an instructor for a while, right? Right. What was one of your most challenging things you found as being an instructor? Well, I'm a teacher by trade. I was a uh, an instructor at the college level, also at training teachers. So I know a lot about how people learn. And uh, there isn't a whole lot of difference between kids or teenagers or adults. Um, pretty much we, we all learn a lot alike. We all have different modalities. And so actually teaching the uh, art of gliding and breaking it down into little chunks so they could learn it was kind of right up my alley. It wasn't something that I found really challenging although it is I mean it's always challenging you can a lot of times teachers will think that because they said it or they, they taught it that you should know it but they don't check for understanding to see if they really have it so that's what tests are all about right but you don't yeah, wait to right. test them you're in aviation so you need to do a lot of that um, checking for understanding and I think that's the biggest challenge to most flight instructors is really, really finding out, do they really understand what I'm saying and finding other ways to verify that they actually understand it with depth of understanding. And, and that's what you want, not just that they can pass the test, pass a written or an oral with rote answers, to have a real discussion and really understand what, what they're talking about when they, when they prep themselves for the orals. I think one of the most fun things for me was prepping inst other instructors during my years, I only trained, I think, about nine or ten instructors, many of them um, pretty interesting people, you know, that uh, one was a world record holder in hand gliders, uh, Eric Raymond. One was the president of the uh, Ultralight Association in Frederick, Maryland. I 
don't recall his name right now. If I think about it, I'll get it again. He wanted to be uh, the first uh, one with he wanted to be the first one with a sport aviation instructor's rating in tricycle. Oh wow! You know those kind of uh, light sport tricycle gear. So he he was seeking out a, a, an instructor in a DPE that had a background in hang gliders and where he could get a sign off and then actually get um, ultimately the very first instructor rating in the United States in his in that form. He wanted to be the first one. So he called um, a man named Galen Fisher who worked at Sailplane Enterprises where I worked for many years here in Hemet, California and uh, asked if he would work with him because he's a pretty well-known hand glider pilot too and glider pilot and DPE. He ex and uh, Galen explained to him, you, uh, I can't sign you off, you know, to come to me as the DPE. So uh, I'm going to put you with uh, an instructor I think will be perfect for you. And then Galen called me and says, you're going to do this. <laughs> so <laughs> here I was, you know, um, Working with this guy to be a flight instructor in his particular type of aircraft that I had never flown. Wow. <laughs> so there I was. He's teaching me how to fly tricycle gear. It looked like a, you know, like an ultralight with a tricycle gear. Um, just a very different looking, you know, type of airplane for me. I'm used to long wings. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was very interesting to be part of that and ultimately the man did a great job um, he was of course brilliant and so it was very it was just wonderful to work with him I've worked with a lot of people from all over the world who came to Southern California to learn to fly from other countries and um, if they had the slightest uh, accent and the other instructors didn't want to work with them uh, they give them to me I'm a bilingual specialist and any you know I I spent my whole life working with people who speak other languages. That's where my degree is in oh, okay. uh, foreign languages. Yeah. So they'd give them to me. And or if they were so elderly that people said, oh, they'll never learn. They give them to me. So I, I was often flying with the ones nobody else wanted to fly with. And, you know, to be honest, some of them, they, didn't, they couldn't learn from me either. I mean, you know, you have to be able to make that decision and say, I'm sorry. I don't think this is going to work out for you. Some of them, I actually made great progress with them. And uh, I remember one elderly man, he was probably in his 60s, but at the time I thought he was elderly. <laughs> anyway, he did finally uh, solo and he got, finally got his license. He came to ground school with me. I did a ton of ground school for not just my club, my commercial operation and for other clubs in the area. I'd organize them for all of us in the winter at school good time to do that even in Southern California because it'll rain and ruin you know ruin the day so we often did uh, ground schools every weekend this man I was telling you about came to the ground schools and went through everything he ended up doing very well as a pilot he joined one of the clubs and stayed and flew for a, probably another almost 10 years of wonderful flying until he was well into his 70s and then he quit but he had some many wonderful years because he didn't give up and I didn't give up on him. He was very safe. Never had a problem with him. So. That's that's great. What a great story. He was able to do all that flying. Yeah. If I could ask you 
what advice do you have for other pilots, not only to be better pilots, but to fly safer? What would you tell them? Well, you know how they say there's no old, bold pilots? <laughs> yes. Stay humble. That's what I would say. Stay humble. Don't think you're better than you are. Because when you think you're better than you are, you're looking for trouble. You're going to have a problem. And it could be deadly. So, yeah, I, I think staying humble. And I think the other thing is that people get to a certain level and they think that they're going to stay at that level. But they don't continue to study. They don't continue to strive for a higher rating. They are actually backsliding. They don't know it, but they really get nervous when it's time for a BFR because they don't remember anything because they haven't been studying. They haven't been doing anything. If you're constantly studying and trying to learn something new, you'll be fine. You need to keep growing because there's no such thing as being on a plateau it's backsliding as soon as you stop. You're starting to go down. You need to keep working and study all the time and learn everything you can learn. That's what I would say. Some great advice. And like they say, pilots are always supposed to be learning. or We never stop learning. That's right. Mary, I greatly appreciate your time today. Thanks for being on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. It's great to have you. I wish you the best of luck with the research. I know it's going to be a lot of work, but you're a great person to do that and and I know that's why they chose you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You are welcome, Mary. Thanks again for your time here on the podcast and thank you for listening to another great guest here on Soaring the Sky. If you want to jump online and drop us a note, if you're a glider pilot and you'd like to tell us your story here on the podcast, I would love to talk to you. Chuck at SoaringTheSky.com. You can get a hold of me there. Also, while you're online, SoaringTheSky.com, our website with all of our guest pilots from previous episodes. Check that out. We are on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at Soaring the Sky Podcast. If you would like to just say hi, feel free to drop me a line at Chuck at SoaringTheSky.com. It's hard to believe we've already had 25 episodes, but I would like to thank a few people that helped me out behind the scenes. Kim, who has written and produced the intro and outro music for the podcast. A lot of hard work went into that, and I greatly appreciate that. Zach, he did the artwork for the logo. Brad takes care of a lot of the website stuff, making the website look good. And thank you again, the listener, because none of this would be possible if you weren't listening. Also, a big thank you to the SSA and at Oshkosh. They were a big help, too. We hope you join us next time for another great guest right here on Soaring the Sky.